0: Hello, your sexy podcast listener. What you are about to hear contains spoilers and some very naughty language from two naughty boys. Please listen responsibly or end up like Mr. Takagi. <laughs>
1: Cheers! Welcome to Beer Me a Movie. I'm Brian Betts. I'm Dave Michaels. And this is a weekly movie podcast where we have no idea what we're talking about next week.
0: No, but we'll write it down just like Brian did with the intro before reading it there so he wouldn't stumble through it.
1: That's what we do. We write it down so we don't stumble through <laughs> it because I am Stumbles <laughs> McGee. Uh sláinte, buddy. How you doing? I'm, I'm great. And l'chaim uh, to you. That's probably racist. <laughs> I hope not. Well, Prost to you. All right. Well, I'm going to stick with Cheers. I don't know enough languages.
0: That's very fair. Everyone knows your name whenever you talk about Cheers anyway. So for the first episode, Brian, you yes. had the honors of setting that sweet, 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 sweet table.
1: That's right. I got to beer you a movie.
0: You sure did. And you beard me a banger, I think is what we should have called it all, all along. Beer me a uh, banger? That's what you did? <laughs> Beer me some bangers and mash. Well, the task that you had at hand was you had to cast a real wide net, but you still had to
1: make it a Brian movie. Exactly. It had to, it had to speak to me, but it also had to have that poll that says, okay, that's an episode one. Exactly. And realistically, Brian wanted
0: to beer me, but also all of you, the collective you. He wanted to beer you a movie in
1: your eye holes so we could put sounds in your ear holes. Exactly. I wanted to, to beer the community at large. 11 times or so. Or <laughs> so. Uh,
0: I guess I'll ask you, what did you pick? What would you beer me?
1: Oh, uh, I beard you Ocean's Eleven from 2001, directed by Steven Soderbergh. This movie is so damn good every single time I see it
0: that I always forget how good it is.
1: Yeah, it's one of those movies that no matter how many times you've seen it, it still just it grabs you. And it's like, hey, this is a good time. But it's also one of those
0: movies that has like that built-in like spoiler to it, but when you watch, you're like, man, I can't wait to see this again. I can't wait to see this again. I can't wait to see this again. You're ahead of the game every yeah. single time, but you're so excited to watch it play out all over again.
1: And it might have taken me two or three times to figure out actually how it went down, but... That's a that's a time. But you got there? Time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Eventually. The movie tells you, Brian. Did you just it watch the movie?
1: <laughs> it tells you how they're going to do it. They do it. And then they recap how it was done through phone call. So.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, Brian has just gotten it. This is good.
1: <laughs> I got it years ago on like the third viewing. Oh, good. Perfect.
0: <laughs> so we made a bit of a change-roo from the way that we introduced the episode zero and the way that we're going to be scoring the movies. Yeah, <laughs> Is it zero to 100? I can't imagine anything's going to score a zero, but it, it would be pretty bad to score a zero. It would have to be pretty bad. It'd be like if they, uh, what was the movie that you cut upside down when you worked at the movie theater?
1: Uh, transformers. <laughs> it would be that. One of the transformers. I think it was the second one. You did it upside down and backwards? Yeah, it was, it was a mess. <laughs> Better movie? Surprisingly didn't get fired, but somehow, but we changed up the order that we're going to do
0: things a little bit. Just to kind of make it flow a little bit better.
1: I like that we haven't had a real episode yet, and we're already changing Already making changes, but We're adapting. We told you it was going to happen. To nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Reassessing, moving stuff around. You want to get into it? Let's get into it. And we're going to start off not with story motivation, but with casting.
0: So, before we even mention anybody in this movie, can you write down a 10? That'd be great. I think, uh, yeah, I'm going to write down a 10 for casting. Because you have George fucking Clooney, Bernie fucking Mac, Brad fucking Pitt, Elliot fucking Gould, Casey fucking Affleck, Scott fucking Khan, Eddie Jemison, good. Don fucking Cheadle. Shaubo Chin. I wasn't going to get close to that name. <laughs> Matt fucking Damon, Carl fucking fucking Reiner, Andy fucking Garcia, Julia fucking Roberts.
1: Yeah. My God. This cast, stacked. It's
0: ridiculous.
1: ridiculous. When, when you say ensemble film, you expect there to be A couple big names. Not everybody in the movie except for Eddie Jemison and Xiaobo Chin.
0: Right, but the magic trick that they pull off with this is that every single one of these characters is defined enough to tell this story. We understand who they are. They all don't really have an arc in this, but they all have
1: a purpose. Exactly. Every (laughs) purpose. Every purpose. Every every purpose serves a purpose. Is what they say. That's the saying. That's
0: what they say in the old country, I'm pretty sure.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Remember earlier when I said I don't know any other
0: languages? No, he has that in his back pocket. Don't even know English, apparently. Learning that on Duolingo. The little green bird taught him how to just put rocks in
1: his mouth and talk. (laughs) Every purpin has his purses. It's a 10. It's absolutely a 10, despite there only being one female character in the movie. (laughs) That's unfortunate,
0: but- That's not really what this movie's about. (laughs)
1: Women? Yeah. It's actually kind of a lot what it's about, but also- Well, she's like a MacGuffin, sort of. Oh, that makes it better. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I can't call her an object because that's the most wrong. That would be the most wrong, but it's kind of how the movie treats her. It's
0: absolutely how the movie treats her. It's how George (laughs) Clooney treats her. But also, sort of not, but it's, definitely. Uh,
1: sort of not, but it's absolutely how Andy Garcia... Oh, a her. million percent! <laughs> <laughs> but we already said 10, so... It's in ink. That's why we, we can't crank this one up to 11. Right. Some of the people who were almost cast in this movie, which would have completely changed it. Johnny Depp as Linus, the uh, the Matt Damon role. Could no, have been, thank you. And originally cast was Mark Wahlberg, but he left to do something else. Good. Uh, Luke and Owen Wilson were both cast as the Malloy twins. Oh man, left. that
0: would have been so good though. <laughs> Scott Kahn and uh Casey fucking Affleck, they crushed this thing.
1: But they're very good. But the man, the, Wilsons. the Wilsons. They probably left to do a Wes Anderson. Probably. Uh Danny Glover was almost cast as Frank, but you can't you can't outdo Bernie Mac. No, you can't. Bruce Willis was the original Danny Ocean, and that just wouldn't have worked. He would have looked great in that. Any one of the clothing attires
0: that Danny Ocean wears in this, Bruce would have crushed also, though.
1: Yeah, he would have looked great, but he just doesn't have that charisma.
0: Oh, you mean having like, any charisma? George Clooney. Got yes. it. All right.
1: <laughs> Ewan McGregor as Basher was a possibility at one point, and that would have been weird. It would have been. And Rafe Fiennes, Warren Beatty, Michael Douglas were all up for the role of Terry. Jeez. Yeah. Everybody, man. Alan Arkin and Don Rickles as Saul. And at some point, Mike Myers was attached to a role, but nobody will say which one.
0: <laughs> uh, missed opportunity. I will say for that one, just
1: out of morbid curiosity. They did end up using his wig from Austin Powers, though. Is that what Brad Pitt wore as a doctor? Absolutely. Oh, man, that's crazy.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's casting. So let's just move right into story and motivation. Which you read directly off of Wikipedia now. Right off of Wikipedia, which is <laughs> yes, still... The most editable website in the world. All right. The ones I put on there are
0: gone. So I'm Already. hoping you pulled these early. Early enough, <laughs> at least. We'll see. Uh, but I probably put them up there like eight hours ago. And somewhere like eight hours, Mr. Wikipedia went on and said, you didn't give me a dollar. When I asked for the dollar <laughs> nine times
1: a year. I've been asking all up in the top half of your browser all day. And you just scrolled right past it to put in bullshit edits. So no, sir. No sir, I didn't even log in. That was the right move. That was the right move. <laughs> now they'll just they block your IP address. <laughs> they were there. That's and you a, won't a good be point able to I to Shit, a burner.
0: So this episode's brought to you by ExpressVPN.
1: <laughs> that would be a good time. To that would be it. Slot in a little little ad, and that's a known podcast advertiser. Unfortunately,
0: uh, <laughs> not on the
1: show. Not for us. <laughs> So, directly from the Wikipedia, following his release from prison, Danny Ocean, the aforementioned George Clooney, violates his parole by traveling to California to meet his friend and partner in crime, Rusty Ryan, played by Brad Pitt, to propose a heist.
0: I never realized that he got released from, like, the North Jersey Penitentiary for the Bad Men or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, which is actually the East Jersey Jail, Prison, whatever they call it, Rahway. It's Rahway. Rahway. Rahway is the right one. (laughs) The two go to Las Vegas to pitch the plan to wealthy friend and former casino owner Ruben Tishkoff, played by Elliot fucking Gould. The plan consists of simultaneously robbing the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand Casinos.
0: And I love this because he, like, says, we're going to rob a casino. and Not just any casino, but
1: three casinos! You're out of your mind. And then there's a whole flashback about three guys who tried to rob casinos, and we're meant to believe that these are the only three people who have gotten close to robbing casinos.
0: So... In uh, Oh, do-do-do-do-do-do. There we go. Huh. Uh, if you want some topical news. you know It's not too topical. It just happened. about that? It just happened at a time. There's been many a casino robbery. I believe that. Many. I think Ruben's full of shit. He is absolutely full of shit. So if you want to go back, Treasure Island got robbed for $30,000 back in December of 2000.
1: Okay, that was before this movie, so that counts.
0: The Bellagio in Las Vegas got robbed for $160,000. In 2000 as well, good year for bank robberies.
1: Sounds like it.
0: The Stardust got hit for 1.1 milli in 1992. Wow, that's a big one. The Stardust again got hit in 1992 for another 500 (laughs) thousand. The Bellagio again got hit for 1.5 million. Wow. Uh, After that, at a date, the Saboba Casino got hit for 1.5 million. The Ritz Casino in London got hit for 1.7 million. Circus Circus got hit for three million. The MIT Blackjack Team immortalized in the very famous movie 21. Remember that one? The very hey, famous movie. Is Kevin Spacey in that? Yeah, he is. Cancel it. And so is the kid from across the universe everyone thought it was going to be a star. That's right. And then he was in 21.
1: And then he was in across the universe and then he was gone.
0: Right. So the MIT Blackjack team, they stole 22 to 57 million.
1: I like that it's a range.
0: And finally, the Crown Casino got hit for 33 million
1: dollars damn that's a lot of money
0: yeah it's perth australia for you though and it was uh, a wealthy new zealand businessman who got caught signaling cards across the room but 33 million dollars later uh maybe do a better job securitying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if it takes you 33 million missing dollars to realize that this guy's cheating you have issues of your own Reuben's familiarity with casino security makes him very reluctant to get involved but when he starts to think of it As a good way to get back at his rival, Terry Benedict, played by Andy Garcia, who owns all three casinos, he agrees to finance the operation. The three men know that the Nevada Gaming Commission requires casinos to have enough cash on hand to cover all their patrons' bets, and they predict that on the night of a highly anticipated boxing match, the Bellagio Vault will contain more than $150 million.
0: So I don't know if this is being 22 years removed from this movie, when I heard 150
1: million dollars this casino I went that doesn't
0: seem like a lot for some reason.
1: I don't know why. It doesn't it doesn't. When you realize that the the highest robbery of a casino is only 33 million, it makes it it kind of puts it in perspective.
0: But that's like a guy looking across the room and seeing a third base coach giving signals and shit. <laughs> like this is a lot more <laughs> this in is depth a than a
1: heist. Yeah. Danny and Rusty recruit eight former colleagues and criminal specialists, con men Linus Caldwell, Frank Catton, and Saul Bloom, played by Matt Damon, Bernie Mac, and Carl Reiner, respectively. Auto specialists, Virgil and Turk Malloy, played by Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn. Explosives expert, Basher Tar, played by Don Cheadle. And can I just say, in 2001, I didn't know a lot about Don Cheadle. Okay. <laughs> and I also didn't know a lot about good British accents.
0: Okay, now there's a difference.
1: So uh, you, you, you noticed fooled it. fooled me. In 2001. In 2001, that Don Cheadle was actually British, and that says so much, because this is like almost Dick Van Dyke levels. It's not
0: great, that's for sure. <laughs> that is adorable how much it fooled you.
1: Yeah. It just 20 years ago, is was very susceptible to accents, I guess. <laughs> Electronic surveillance technician Livingston Dell, played by Eddie Jemison. Jemison? That guy. Yep. Kirkland's signature Tony Shalhoub. <laughs>
0: That's a really cool way to put it. It's like, what do you want me to do on screen? I'll do be nervous and sweaty. <laughs> Can
1: you do Monk? We couldn't get Tony, but <laughs> I don't know. You're here.
0: You are available.
1: And finally, the amazing Yen, played by Shaobo Chin, who is an acrobat. Yes, he is. Several team members carry out reconnaissance at the Bellagio to learn as much as possible about the security, the routines, the behaviors of the casino staff, and the building itself.
0: It's pretty neat how they get these plans because Danny Ocean has such a deep, deep roster of people that he just knows in general. Yeah. Like, he knows this night security guard at this architect firm or whatever.
1: So say, hey, we got plans for the Bellagio. That's convenient. I'm going to go home and make copies of these. It is,
0: but it makes me feel like it's probably coming out of his cut, obviously, whenever he pays these people off. It's like, Danny Ocean is just doing this for fun a lot of the time.
1: Well, let's not forget that uh, Ruben put up a lot of money to fund the whole thing.
0: That's a good point.
1: And Ruben doesn't need the money. He's loaded out of his mind. Ruben is absolutely loaded, but this is, you know, revenge against Gary sure. Benedict. I want to say somebody did the math and they figured out that Ruben probably put up about $20 million. Oh, that's not too bad. To fund this whole excursion. He did all right on the, on the back end of it. Other members of the team create a precise replica of the vault, which is built in order to practice maneuvering through its formidable security systems. Or something like that.
0: Or I like how subtle they are about it here. And it's like on the second viewing, you catch it.
1: You're like, oh, they got me with that line. During this planning phase, the team discovers that Danny's ex-wife, Tess, played by Julia Roberts, is Benedict's new girlfriend.
0: I love this, too, because Linus is supposed to be tailing Terry Benedict. Matt Damon is tailing him. And he's kind of giving his report to Brad Pitt about what Benedict's moves are. Yeah. And then Tess starts coming down the stairs. He goes, yeah. And then there's this girl. She comes down the stairs every night this time. It's my favorite part of the day. It's
1: the best part of my day.
0: (laughs) And I love the look that Brad Pitt gives of, oh, fuck.
1: Ah, damn it. And I love that he turns around so she doesn't see him. And it's very Uh subtle. And yeah.
0: You're not going to miss Brad Pitt in any room, lady. Come on. (laughs) Especially... 2000s Brad Pitt? Right. Come
1: Two- on! 2000s Brad Pitt? I don't care if it's just the back of his head. You're going to notice. Especially because he's going to be eating something. Yes, he is. Rusty urges Danny to give up on the plan, believing Danny incapable of sound judgment when Tess is involved, but Danny refuses. On the night of the fight, the plan is put into motion. Danny shows up at the Bellagio purposely to be seen by Benedict, who, as predicted, locks him in a storeroom with Bruiser, a bouncer. However, Bruiser is on Danny's payroll and allows him the access to the vent system. And he joins his team as they seize the vault, coinciding with the activities of their other team members in and around the casino. How great is Bruiser? Bruiser's amazing. I love that he gives him that one hit and Danny's like, oh, not yet, Bruiser.
0: He's like, oh, I'm sorry, Danny. Hey, Bruiser, how's your wife? Pregnant again?
1: Yeah, that happens. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. But he's got such a rapport with him already. Yeah. How many times has bruiser been used in any of this stuff? That's a good question. Or is he like, the what's her name from the earlier in the movie that he just found her, gave her some money, and she was like, all right, yeah, I'll get his key card for you. That's
0: true. There's that special lady, too. There's a lady in the movie. We did it. Yeah.
1: She even might have a name. We don't know. <laughs> she doesn't talk to any other ladies in the movie. That's true. That's a good point. But what can you do? Rusty calls Benedict on a cell phone Danny dropped in Tess's coat earlier and tells him that unless he lets them have half of the money in the vault, they'll blow it up. It's such like a
0: slick move. Like, Linus is supposed to be like, the pickpocket. That's why he's there. Yeah. And here, Danny just plants a big old smooch right on Julia Roberts' cheek, and he just drops the key in, just like the mice in Cinderella. This has always bothered me a lot. The mice in Cinderella. I can't believe we're going to go here. The big-ass key that's in her in the stepmother's pocket? Yeah. And these little mousies are digging around in there trying to lift this big-ass key out, and she
1: doesn't notice? How do you not feel those mousies? How do you How not do feel-, feel those
2: mouses in
0: there?
1: I can't imagine a, a world where you don't feel a Gus Gus in your pocket. I have no idea. <laughs>
0: It doesn't make any sense. And this is just a big-ass cell phone. You're telling me that no point did she put her, like, didn't even bother with her hands in her pockets, hands up against the sides? This is the year 2000. Cell phones are conservatively the size of the New Testament.
1: <laughs> conservatively. And not like a pocket New Testament. Like a regular no. size New Testament. Like the regular old one. Like King Charles, whatever it is.
0: Yep. That's exactly it. He wrote his own book right after his mommy died. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the King James, that's what I meant. <laughs> the, the King of Queens version of the, the Bible.
0: Uh, it's all bullshit no matter how you look at it. It doesn't matter <laughs> what king decides to put his pen to paper.
1: Yeah, well, it's the Word of God, according to me.
2: God came down and touched me and said, You write this book. <laughs> I, I'm going to go die now uh-huh. because my son is 74 years old and has been waiting for this for. About 30 years. I'm overdue. He's going to have a very short reign.
1: <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were doing Mickey Mouse or Queen Elizabeth at first. <laughs> why would we be doing Mickey Mouse? I don't know. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> That's why I was confused.
2: Oh, here I go now.
1: <laughs> the old <laughs> Winnie the Pooh <laughs> edition of the Bible. Very famous.
2: I just need a smackerel of death. Put me out of my misery. This, <laughs> this family's <is> terrible.
1: <laughs> that's a pooh bear that's been hanging out with Eeyore too much. That's right.
2: Eeyore, have you ever had any dark thoughts? <laughs> you know, when you reach your hand into the honey jar and there's nothing there.
1: All the time.
2: Oh bother. <laughs> Eeyore, quick question. Do you think your tail's long enough to tie into a
0: noose? Already tried. It. <laughs> he just got like a nail in his ass, realistically, yeah. right? That's yeah. that's Eeyore tail.
1: It's literally pinned to the donkey. Man, that is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we somehow ended up on Winnie the Pooh and the Bible in this Ocean's Eleven episode. <laughs> Don't you worry, Pooh Bear! Killing Tigger through best! <laughs> also, I believe that.
0: I do too. Look at him dead in the eyes. Ferocious. I'm just going to kill you and then I'll bounce away. <laughs> Woo! I can't do his laugh.
1: Oh, I used to be able to, but I don't know if I can go in unpracticed. <laughs> Channel your inner murderer. That's how
0: you do it. Making a murderer.
1: Monster, the Tigger story.
0: This is Owl reporting.
1: So Terry Benedict sees video footage confirming Rusty's claim that they're going to blow up the money in the vault. So Benedict complies, having his bodyguards take the loaded double bags to a waiting van driven by remote control. It's a good move. It's a very good move. Benedict has his men follow the van while he calls in a SWAT team to try to secure the vault. The SWAT team's arrival causes a shootout that sets off the explosives and incinerates the remaining cash. After affirming the premises, otherwise secure, the SWAT team collects their gear and departs. So where's the money right now?
0: Let's figure out where the actual money, the money is. Where's the money, Lebowski? I'm clearly not a golfer. I need to know where this money is.
1: <laughs> all of this money is currently in the SWAT team bags.
0: All 150 mil?
1: All of it, yep.
0: Okay. 164 this was the part, million. Whatever it is, the, that's the part that always gets me about this one. Because obviously they take 80 mil and they send it in the van. And they take 80 mil and they blow it up in the vault. But obviously it didn't blow up any real money. Right. At all. So I was always like, was the money just with the SWAT team the whole time? Was any of it left behind? All of it missing? Yada, yada, yada. This
1: is the part that took me three viewings to figure yeah. out. It's tricky. It's a,
0: such a slick move.
1: Yeah. Especially because they're doing like a recap of how it's going to be done while they're doing it. And it's just cut <laughs> in a weird way. And it's very confusing on first watch. But by the second, third time, you get it. You
0: could follow along enough. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. As Benedict arrives to examine the ruined vault himself, his men stop the van and find the bags were only loaded with flyers for prostitutes. No money. Benedict studies the video footage and recognizes that the flooring in the vault on the video lacks the Bellagio logo, which had been added only recently to the vault. Because, you know, sometimes you just got to add the logo to your vault floor on a Tuesday so you can move the plot along.
0: Yep, that, that no one's ever going to see. Ever. No one ever. No you know, one. Ever. You know what
1: I need to do? Just for the the sake of the CCTV cameras, got to put the logo on the vault floor.
0: Do you know what these cameras are missing? Little shooj and sparkle.
1: (laughs) I have millions of dollars in this vault, but you know what I need to do? Hire some contractors to put an unnecessary detail in the flooring of the room that nobody's allowed in.
0: We're so tired of looking at the taupe walls. They're very comic, but we're so tired of looking at it. (laughs) Ah, uh, it's got to sex up that floor just a little bit. Security and he, like, solves the crime asleep. so quickly, too, after he rolls the floor. He's like, there's no logo on the floor. It's like a bullshit TV show I worked on back in the day called Forever with and Griffith, Mr. Fantastic. And oh, yeah. the premise of that was, like, he fell off a boat and then didn't die. Found that he could live forever, and he was a doctor, but he also solved crimes.
1: <laughs> Naturally.
0: And this is just, like... I'm a casino magnet, but I also know how to solve the the bur- bur- burglaries.
1: There's no logo on the floor. Let me do some quick Batman detective work. Dun, dun. Jumping. it has been Law and Order. Through all the conclusions. Las Vegas, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Law and Order, Las Vegas. <laughs> Is that not one of them already? I don't know. It
0: might be. I, it doesn't have a character this savvy.
1: Definitely not. You need to hire Terry Benedict away from the casino <laughs> you industry. You <should> sure do. <laughs> Get him on the force. We're going
0: to need you to go out there and say tough guy lines, but everyone thinks it's bullshit. Yeah! <laughs>
1: <laughs> then we'll get you some sweet The Who in there, and you got a TV show, baby. That's CSI. Is that the
0: CSI Miami? Yeah. That one? Yeah. That's the one with uh, David Caruso, right? Mm-hmm. He always just takes off his glasses. Or, or put them, them on his glasses. That's it. <laughs> That's it's only move. two moves. He's like,
1: dad joke while I remove my spectacles. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. All those are the same, right? All those shows are all the same.
1: I feel like Law and Order and CSI, sure.
0: I feel like SVU is the only one that gets a little interesting because they, sometimes they're they like, sometimes little... it's murder. Sometimes it's rape. You don't know. Sometimes it could be both.
1: With SVU, they just like to add a little extra porn to their murder porn. Exactly. That's the difference with SVU.
0: <laughs> that's how you keep it on the air as long as it's been there oh what if we made them sexy crimes like instead of just killing them bones them then he kills them or wait for it wait for it wait for it kills them while boning them wait ooh, for ooh, it oh, wait 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 I heard it I heard it bones them after he kills them oh, mic man. drop
1: that's three different plots right there
0: 20 seasons and a movie <laughs> lock
1: it up uh, has there been a Law and Order movie? no Don't why, why give would there, there be? There's <laughs> a need to be. But maybe Statler and Waldorf will finally those are the Muppets. fun. <laughs> <That's laughs> right. I don't know the names of anybody on the show, so that's what I went with. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, we've been all over the place in this one, huh? Oh, we sure have. It is shown that Danny's team used the practice vault to create fake footage to fool Benedict. Furthermore. They themselves were the SWAT team and used their gear bags to take all the money from the vault right under Benedict's nose, including a fun little shot of Carl Reiner. Of going, all people, going down an elevator shaft. Love it. Fucking Why? love it. Why would you put the oldest
0: man there who died of a heart attack just minutes ago?
1: <laughs> man, all hands on deck. I guess that's true. Honestly, I'd have Carl Reiner on the phone with with Terry instead of Brad Pitt, I feel like he'd be better for the carrying. Yeah, you're probably right. But then he's the one who opens his mask, so I don't know.
0: I never understood why he opened his mask. That's just a level of cocky that I can't get to.
1: That's just so the audience knows that they were the SWAT team the whole time.
0: Yeah, we'll get there. We will get there.
1: Benedict goes to see Danny, has seemingly been locked up in the storeroom throughout the heist, and thus innocent of any involvement. As Tess watches via closed-circuit television, Danny tricks Benedict into saying, he would give her up in exchange for the money.
0: But I feel like Terry has Danny like dead to rights here and he doesn't take it. Like Danny goes, what happened, Benedict? Someone rob you or something? It's like, just call Stop the cops right, right, right now. There. Just call the cops right now. You don't well, need to, knows, to issue your own there.
1: brand of casino justice or whatever. Well, that's kind of his whole character, though, is that he likes to issue his own brand of casino justice.
0: That's a good point. So maybe he didn't need to do that. He
1: deserved everything he got. Ruben makes a point in the beginning of the movie to say, like, oh, it used to be civilized. You hit a guy, he'd whack you. But with Terry, he makes it personal. He'll kill you, and then he'll go to work on you.
0: It's the quick way to lose $163 million or whatever.
1: And a Julia Roberts. That's a good point, too. Benedict, dissatisfied with Danny's plan to get back the money, orders his men to escort Danny off the premises and inform the police that he is violating his parole by being in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, famously not New Jersey.
0: Very famously, I'd say.
1: Although Atlantic City's trying. It's, it's, it's trying really trying. failing real hard. Oh, miserably. It's a nightmare city. Tess leaves Benedict and exits the hotel just in time to see Danny arrested. The rest of the team bask in the victory in front of the Fountains of Bellagio, which I did not realize that they were properly called the Fountains of Bellagio. It sounds like they're going to be singing a song about Stacy's mom. Stacy's mom? <laughs> Silently going their separate ways one by one. When Danny is released after serving time for his parole violation, he is met by Rusty and Tess. They drive off, closely followed by Benedict's bodyguards, whose presence was noted by Rusty as he and Danny approached Rusty's car.
0: It's like the most subtle way to set up a sequel.
1: It really is. It's like, oh, they're on to him.
0: This story kicks ass, like a lot?
1: Yeah, it really like, does. Like a whole lot? A whole lot. It's a little confusing at times, but you, you eventually get it.
0: But I feel like for this type of story, you have to be a little confused at times to kind of... yes throw you, the audience, off your own
1: scent in a way. Right. If you can follow it the whole way, that's not a good heist movie.
0: Exactly. Sometimes you want your audience to get a step ahead of you, and that's kind of how you build anticipation and tension. And this movie is not about that at all. This movie is about the reveals. It's about the cool tricks that are pulled in this. It's about... The slickness and slyness and suaveness of the characters.
1: Exactly. The There's not supposed to be any tension. And the twisty turns.
0: This is just fun
1: wall to wall. Absolutely. And that's what I love about it. Seven. Eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to move us to our next category. Protagonist. Is Danny Ocean. It's Danny Ocean. And his and, 11. And his 11. And they're all great. I'm I a big like fan of all them. He's really only got 10. He's one of the 11.
0: That's a good point also. I think the crazy part about it is that he's a criminal, a thief, and a liar, and we root for him every step of the way. Well, he only
1: lied about being a thief.
0: That's a good point. Apologies to the whole Ocean family.
1: <laughs> well, we're not there yet. Also true. Ocean's 8 doesn't come out for a while after this.
0: I still haven't seen it. Still curious to see it. One of those I said, I'll get to, and then I just keep forgetting to. And you
1: know what this show is great for? Stuff we said we'll get to. That's
0: a good point. I really like every one of these characters.
1: They are likable despite being uh, swindlers and ne'er do wells.
0: It's true, but they almost come off as Robin Hoods in a way. It's just they're not giving that money up after they get it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, they're they're taken from the house. They're they're plucky.
0: That's the right word for it. I'm gonna go with a seven.
1: I agree with the seven on this one. Okay.
0: <laughs> Seven, I feel, it's like, a cop-out answer, but it's also like the safest cop-out.
1: Seven is a cop-out in the way that like five would be grossly underselling it. Like five is I just, agree. I don't know. Seven's like, it's good. With exactly so with that intention. singing intonation. and everything? Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's fair. All right.
1: <laughs> the antagonist, Terry Benedict.
0: He's so fucking scummy.
1: He's so scummy. He is so bad that he makes the other bad guys look like good guys. Nine. 9 and I can't
0: go full blown 10.
1: No. No, because you know, he's going to get
0: close to winning. <laughs> like not even close
1: to it. No, they pull the wool completely over his eyes. He doesn't see through any of their shenanigans. He doesn't even recognize he's like, "Oh, wait a minute. This guy is getting recognized by some other guy in my casino and I'm just going to let him use my vault." Okay.
0: If George Clooney's ever coming after your girl and you can't do anything about it, like you're fucked about that or like you fight it. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. Is you try to fight the George Clooney looking that know. good in
1: that suit, man. I feel like you got to be pretty cocky to be like, no, nah, I think I can out, outmaneuver George Clooney. But isn't trying to outmaneuver. Affection. He just flashes
0: the money and the smile and the slick that's, back. Yeah.
1: There. Does he make you laugh? He doesn't make me cry. Yeah, that's a line.
0: <laughs> I'll get there. <laughs> uh, let's go with an eight. Nine. No, uh, uh, Eight feels better after what we just said. Well, we did write nine. Can't go back. That's the arbitrariest of rules. I, I would say. But yeah. That's like something that you would see on like a Bed Bath and Beyond piece of wood. It's like, don't look back. You're not going that way. Or we whatever. already wrote down nine.
1: <laughs> That's a weird thing to have hanging over your mantle, grandma. <laughs> I thought
2: that said wine. <laughs>
1: that nine nine like for the queen. antagonist. The queen's your grandma now. All right. Well, better than Mickey Mouse.
2: Oh, I'm your grandma now. (laughs) Quick question. Have you ever seen Law & Order SVU? (laughs) Why do you think I wear these gloves? You won't even feel me reaching into your pocket. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not even wearing pants.
1: Mice, man. Always reaching into pockets. Dun, dun. (laughs) What the fuck is happening? This is the weirdest crossover of all time. Disney SVU. (laughs) maybe statler and waldorf will finally get together
0: no 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 you prince charming you're under arrest that was a dead girl you just kissed season three absolutely that's a good pull at least that's gotta be like (laughs) the ending of season three like the dead girl's just in the forest the whole time yeah and it keeps building up building up building up and he just goes and kisses her thinking he's doing the right thing and it's the wrong thing. and
1: they and ice cube comes out and arrests him or iced tea. Whichever one it is. That's
0: whatever iced variety.
1: Some some iced rapper turned actor will apprehend Prince Charming. Stop! Collaborate and listen. It could be vanilla ice. That would be the swerve. That w- that's it. That's the twist.
0: <laughs> that's the character. Disney SVU. At the end of that season. Disney SVU. The- you know the thing we're missing? We're not working together. And that's why we brought in. Vanilla ice, and then he does the ninja rap. That's right.
1: So I'd, I'd pay money tone. if that were the movie. I'd pay money. <laughs> oh, I'd go see it in theaters opening night. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So style and tone.
0: Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. Nine easy nine, easy Easiest 9 gonna easy
1: do. nine. It, yeah, it's uh, Soderbergh said that the film was an opportunity to give audience quote pleasure from beginning to end. Good. Soderbergh he did wants a good to job. Give you pleasure. He wanted it to be a movie that you just surrender to without embarrassment and without regret.
0: Okay. That's a bit of a douchey thing to say about anything. It's a weird thing to say.
1: It's almost like he regrets and is embarrassed by some of his other films.
0: Or is embarrassed and regrets this film.
1: Well, no, because he said he wants you to surrender to this one.
0: Yeah, but he's so highbrow
1: that I feel like he needed to almost come down. Are we calling Steven Magic Mike Soderbergh highbrow now? We're not.
0: (laughs) But Roger Ebert is, because Roger Ebert did give this movie three out of four stars, and he said, serious pianists sometimes pound out a little honky-tonk just for fun. (laughs) That's like what Steven Soderbergh is doing in Ocean's Eleven. This is a standard genre picture, a remake of the 1960 Frank Sinatra caper, and Soderbergh, who usually aims higher, does it as sort of a lark. It's slick, all right. Directors this good don't usually handle material this routine. It has yearnings above its natural level, as if hoping to redeem itself and metamorphose into a really good movie.
1: So you said he gave it a four? Three out of four? He gave it a three out of four. I couldn't tell if that was a positive review or not. I am completely unsure. (laughs) It's a funny review. I do like when he does that. But... Uh, he's under the impression that Soderbergh
0: dumbed himself down to have a good old time, and I agree with him here.
1: I agree, with, especially at this point in Soderbergh's career, and we will move into director right after this. So we said nine for Stylentone? Oh, yeah. So let's talk about director, Steven Soderbergh. At this point, he had been doing mostly serious movies.
0: Oh, absolutely. He was recognized as a serious director, and that's why when he did this, everyone's like,
1: Really? Yeah, because he came out, swinging. his directorial debut with Sex, Lies, and Videotape won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Exactly. And, and that's like, a it, banger movie. You walk out and you, you hit a grand slam on your first go, people are going to be like, what is this Ocean's Eleven bullshit?
0: Well, it's sort of like he laid down the perfect bunt. Yeah. You know, like you know how whenever you trickle that ball up the third base baseline, the third baseman's looking at it like, that's going to go foul. That's going to go foul. That's going to go foul. And then it doesn't go foul? It doesn't. Yeah. That's what this movie is.
1: That's what this movie is. The perfect bunt.
0: I think he did a great job.
1: I do too. Uh there's some, some weirdness to it that where he combines these scenes where they're explaining what they're going to do and it goes right into showing them doing it, almost like it's gonna like showing you how they're going to do it, but it just turns out that is them doing it. And then it cuts right to the aftermath and it, it's a little jarring. So what are you thinking? Like an eight? I was kind of
0: going seven on it a little bit, because there are certain aspects of it that are a little rudimentary, but it's really well done stylistically. But how could it not be really well done when you have these actors to work with? They're having such a good time.
1: I'll refer you to Don Cheadle's accent. (laughs) That's totally different. You're right. But still. (laughs) I think seven's appropriate. Let's talk about the screenplay.
2: It's got some good
1: lines in it. It does. This thing's written out pretty well, and there's uh, a fair amount of improv happening here, especially Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn.
0: See, I would have thought that there were more improv stuff with like Brad Pitt and George Clooney because the way that they kind of interact with each other, yeah, they clearly have such a a good rapport, insanely and chemistry, good and it's chemistry. Just, it's ridiculous. Like you have that one scene where Brad Pitt's just like head on his hands as he's leaning over the table, is like, and George Clooney's over. I'm like, you think we need one more? Yeah, you think we need one more? All right, 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 let's go get one more. Like, you just have to say a word.
1: Yeah, it's really, really well done. And it it has, I imagine there's a fair amount of improv happening here. Improv still counts. But improv still counts.
0: I'm going to go with another seven. I want to bump this one up to an eight. Why?
1: Because I feel like
0: a seven is a cop out. (laughs) I don't here because with the improv stuff, I don't put that so much into the screenplay. Right. what's written on the page. I think that it is a little bit confusing at points.
1: But intentionally so, to mislead the viewer. Ah, All right, eight. I'll take it. That begrudging eight that you just granted me. (laughs) Let's talk about the music. Scores by David Holmes, uh, but I'm more interested in the soundtrack on this one, honestly. Why is that? Because it is pulling out some insanely good songs for appropriate moments, like that flashback when... Elliot Gould is going through the previous attempted robberies and when they cut to Las Vegas and you get that little less conversation, a little more action and just, oh, so good. It is very good. But then the score itself, you have that. You told me you actually sent me a message. It said it reminded you of Herbie Hancock. And I was like, you are sure not did. wrong. But it, it's very
0: repetitive.
1: It is super repetitive.
0: And that's the part that bugs me the most. It's not terribly memorable at all. That's fair. But it is appropriate. I kind of want to go like a six.
1: Six? Yeah,
0: it's nothing to write home about. I'm going to allow
1: it. Six for music.
0: I feel dirty about saying it.
1: Well, I let you let me feel dirty about the screenplay, so. Fair enough. We're going to average it out here. Speaking of Linus, dirty. The box office, this one is not up to us. Ocean's Eleven opened at number one its opening weekend. Made $38 million its opening weekend. Which is not a lot,
0: considering this movie is an $85 million
1: movie. It's not a lot, but it was also 20 years ago when you didn't see a whole lot of that. It is, It did dethrone Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which was going into its 22nd week. Well,
0: something had to eventually, because it was on its 22nd week. <laughs> the rest half of the, a year.
1: The rest of its opening week also had Behind Enemy Lines, Monsters, Inc., Spy Game, Black Knight, Shallow Hal, Out Cold, K-Pax, and The One. The 2000s were a weird time.
0: They were a very weird time.
1: But this movie did eventually make $450 million. That's a huge hit. Huge. That is a blockbuster. It's 530% on its original budget, which automatically gives us a 10.
0: And it deserves that. I mean, everyone saw this movie, and I know that because I read the Letterboxd reviews. (laughs) And there were a ton. You want to hear a few?
1: Absolutely.
0: The first one I have is just a list of things that Brad Pitt ate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's going to be a long list. Nachos, two salads, cotton candy, a fruit cup, two assorted party snacks, a lollipop, <laughs> shrimp cocktail, ice cream,
1: shrimp, by the way. and
0: a burger. <laughs> He's eating in damn near every scene.
1: It's true. There's actually a scene at the end of the movie where he gets heartburn and he puts food down for the first time in the movie.
0: It's a good move, and I love that little touch. <laughs> From April 14th, 2018... If Don Cheadle tries to come anywhere near the UK on the Infinity War press tour, I'll personally (laughs) greet him at the airport and fight him to the death.
1: (laughs) I thought it was believable. At the time. At the time.
0: (laughs) Uh, I like this one quite a bit. Speaking of Wes Anderson, this one's from August 12th, 2020. Danny Ocean walked so that the fantastic Mr. Fox could run. Oh, okay. Yeah. There were a
1: strange amount
0: of Mr. Fox references on Letterboxd.
1: I can see it. You get the Clooney's. You got the the fast talking, the charmingness. Great movie. Oh, absolutely. From September 13th, 2020, can I take a night
0: off from being a feminist and say this movie absolutely fucks?
1: (laughs) Yes, we'll allow it.
0: We'll allow it. It's a great movie. And uh, you know what? Good on you for recognizing. Yeah, for real. And the last one I have is from May 30th, 2020. Brad be eating everything in this movie except my pussy.
1: (laughs) It's true.
2: What's the final category? Is it the impact on the industry? It is
1: the impact on the
0: industry. This movie is definitely a sign of its times. And it did spawn off two other movies as well. Three other movies
1: now. Yeah, it was two direct sequels, a spinoff, and there are rumors of a Margot Robbie produced and starred prequel which may or may not also feature Ryan Gosling and also Don Cheeto let slip last year that Soderbergh is potentially working on an Oceans 14.
0: That's ridiculous to me. That is and absolutely I love it.
1: insane. But I it's it's such a fun universe that you know what? Keep making movies that take place in it. I love it.
0: But you have all these massive name actors and everyone's like ah Marvel we know about that me and Brian from our past show. <laughs> but it's like
1: it's been done before, in a way. Absolutely. The, uh, the massive ensemble picture. At one point, I was, I was toying with the idea of having you bear me a reboot, and then I was like, all the characters who aren't in this are just Marvel characters at this point. Every single actor is either in the Ocean's universe or in the Marvel universe. Yep,
0: that's exactly it. So
1: it, it seemed like it would be very repetitive. I want
0: to go with an eight.
1: I, I like that, Eight. I feel especially, like this movie
0: is not so much a stepping stone for all these actors, but a nice bridge.
1: Yeah. yeah. I especially love that they did this the bit in the credits with introducing Julia Roberts as Tess. It's very good. At this point, she had an Oscar and was uh-huh. the highest paid actress <laughs> in history. And they're like, introducing. There's also a rumor that uh, George Clooney sent her a script with a 20 pin to it. Said, I heard you're doing movies for 20 now.
0: That's so awesome to so hear. So good.
1: But yeah, I, I love this movie. I do too. You said eight, eight for impact. I said eight for impact. That is going to give Oceans 11 a total score of 82.
0: Brian, Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, 1 100. 82. 83. Oh, dangerously close. Oh my God. The first movie close. off the bat, we get close to having to pound our beers. Uh, the ruling is, is if our arbitrary score matches up with either the critical or audience score. Oh, is it either? I'm going either.
1: Yeah, why not? Why not? We, we have, have to, to start drink. drinking more during the show so there's less to pound at the end because That's we got real move. close. I'm already,
0: I'm already on number two. I had to do a lot less talking during that plot part, but next week, I'm going to have to be
1: doing plenty of that talking during that plot part. That's true. Speaking of which, is it is it that time? I think it's that time. Oh, man, I am anxious because you've been teasing me with this for months at this point. You've known for a while what you wanted to pick. I have known for a while what
0: I wanted to pick because I worked in the film industry. I'm such a huge cinephile, cinebuff, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, pretentious. That's the word. (laughs) I wanted a movie that casted, again, a really wide net for my first pick. Yeah. But it also had to have a good backstory to it. It had to be a Dave movie. That's the move. And that's why we're going to be talking about one of my Mount Rushmore directors. Ooh. Because my Mount Rushmore is Stanley Kubrick, Billy Wilder, Akira Kurosawa, and the one we're going to talk about next week is going to be Steven Spielberg when we talk 1982's E.T. Oh, that's such a good
1: pick. I uh, would not have guessed that, but I love it. It's one out of the 30 I wrote down trying to figure it out. I'm going to have to cross it off my list. (laughs) There it
0: is. The fun starts out next week. E.T.
1: Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. It's a whole new show. We need we need all those reviews and ratings and subscriptions. Join us on Patreon this month where we're having all sorts of fun. We kind of realized that we took the Patreon idea, moved it to the main show, so we had to up the ante on the Patreon. So now we can beer each other whatever we want. This month, uh, we got Beard a record to talk about for the first time. By the Ginger Well, by Dave Novak. Got to leave the past in the past.
0: We sure do. Thank (laughs) God we can retire that. Uh, And in December, I think we're going to debut our new Patreon show that we came up with. I think you're right. So here on Beer Me A Movie and on our past show, The Cape Podcasters, we had a rule. And that rule was no movie is totally shitty. No great movie is totally perfect. Right. You have to celebrate the bad while tearing down the good. You kind of have to meet a movie halfway. Take it for what it is. There's got to be a silver lining. There's got to be something that sucks. About the most perfect film of all time. There has to be something. And we're going to put that theory to the test. (laughs) Because we have looked up the worst films of all time. And we're going to try to find a silver lining in every single one of them if we possibly can. And we're going to be doing that in a new show that we're calling Crappy Hour.
1: It's absolutely named. I'm very excited to give it a shot. I'm terrified. It's going to be... An interesting experience for <laughs> sure. sure. Will. But this month on Patreon, we will be talking about Dave Novak's album that he bearded us. It is David Bowie's 1972 album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars.
0: That's going to be very exciting.
1: It's going to be a good time. Also, this month on Patreon, last year we did it in October, this year we're doing it in November. All the proceeds we make on Patreon this month will be going to the Extra Life Foundation, which uh, raises money. For kids with cancer. Every single dollar. Every dollar, so. So
0: loosen up those purse strings, you frugal fucking bastards. <laughs> Is that how you do it?
1: And that's do exactly you, how you do you yell it. yell at them? Berate them until they that's feel it. guilty about okay. not giving money to the kids. That's good.
0: If you donate even as little as $1, subscribe for as little as $1, you still get access to our entire back catalog of everything that's been on Patreon. There's, there's something s- like 40 plus episodes of Tons of content
1: there. Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's definitely worth your dollar. Or
0: do it, or it for more. the kids.
1: Do it for the kids. Do it for the kids. And you know, we'll probably drop like a I don't know, a bracket or something this month too, just to sweeten the pot. Right. Just a little bit. You can email us your questions and comments to me a at gmail.com. And we do have an email came in from Phil Hawkins. Hey Phil! He said he was chatting with Dave a few days ago and posed him a question for the show. Who is your favorite actor slash director combinations that frequently collaborate together? A couple oh, of his boy. favorites that come to mind are Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. I swear oh, he just still, put that in there can't because do it. He, he knows I can't say. Guillermo yeah. del Toro and Ron Perlman. It's a good one. Sure. And then he said uh, the Coen brothers and Steve Buscemi. The Coen love brothers it. and John Turturro. The love Coen it. brothers and John Goodman. Love it. The Coen brothers and Francis McDormand. <laughs> I'm seeing a trend here. He said you get the idea. He definitely
0: trolled you the first time, and I love it. <laughs> If I had to pick a few, let me put on my pretentious hat for a hot second, I'm going to okay. go George Roy Hill and Paul Newman. Oh, okay. You got Jimmy Stewart, Frank Capra. You got Jimmy Stewart, Alfred
1: Hitchcock. Super pretentious. I love it. Scorsese DiCaprio. That's a gimme. Scorsese De Niro is also way <laughs> up there to yeah. too. Oh, I have one. I have one to counteract what you're saying. Sure. Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg.
0: Okay, I'm gonna one up you and say Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell.
1: Oh, that's and a that's very it. We're done. Good that's one. the one. That's it. Done.
0: That's our that's our mutual
1: decision. We've done. Nailed it, it. Phil. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Uh, he also gives us a little beer me a movie nomination for the end of November because at the end of every month we do take listener suggestions and random number that that shit and come up with a movie that we have to talk about submitted by you the listeners.
0: Exactly, and if you are a subscriber on Patreon, your movie gets entered twice. That's correct, and so you twice know what the
1: chances we've actually already gotten quite a few. Yes, we have. So there are currently four on the list, and we just got one from Phil. So, well, eight. No, we're right look at it that way because cause... they are all patrons. So far, they all of... are. So there are eight movies on the list for this month.
0: But the people are not patrons. One dollar subscribe this month especially gets donated to kids with cancer,
1: and it doubles your chances of having your movie picked. That's right. So many benefits to being on Patreon. There are. You can find us on social media, at Movie on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch. We're on all of those as Movie, and on Twitter as at Pod. It's the only one that we couldn't get, Movie. <laughs> we got close. Oh, well. And for a change of pace from the last thing we did, uh, if you have any questions about Ocean's Eleven, you can submit them either via our email, BeerMeAMoviePod at gmail.com, or on Facebook, at Beer Me a Movie, we'll be putting up a post asking for your questions about this movie, and we'll go over all of that in the next one. Exactly. We kind of want to keep
0: the movie that we beer each other a little bit of a surprise, as much as we possibly can, yeah. for you, the listener, as best as we possibly can. It's it's a tricky thing to do, we want you guys to come on the journey with us. We're all about the surprises in this one. We are. It's so much fun to surprise each other, and this was a hell of a pick, Brian. Next month, I cannot wait to talk about E.T. Very excited about E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Do you have anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. Next week, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. We'll see you then. I may have to come back from the afterlife to get some Reese's Pieces for that episode. See you next week.